10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Lord our pal Prosser Abitawi and welcome to the Twilight Show on Teachers Already with me, Nathan Ginn. And tonight we're joined by Steve Docking, CEO of Northwest Academies Trust, Brendan Prince, Adventure Lifeguard and Water Safety Crusader to talk all things swimming in the curriculum. So are you one of those teachers who didn't know it was there or are you passionate about making sure every child can reach their 25 metre target? Tune in. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Gint here on Teachers Talk Radio. It's sunny in South Wales, it has been sunny, I have been at the beach, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been at the beach a lot. I've been uh, even swimming in the sea, I've been out on you know paddle boards, I have been uh, out in the sunshine enjoying web enjoying the swimming i'm you know i live by the coast um and so uh swimming has always been something that is second nature to me uh something that i've always taken for granted i would say and we're going to be talking about that a little bit tonight about the importance of it and also that that element of water safety that exists in the primary curriculum um and also how we achieve that like how can we get there and what are some of the struggles people are facing at the moment now i can see we've got a call on the line i just want to check who it is hello can you hear me? Just having a listen through there. Oh, can't quite hear you there, caller. Um, it's it, possibly, is it Brendan? Is it Steve? Hello. Hi there. Yeah, I can hear you now. Hi, Nathan. Yeah, hi there. Who's this? There's Brendan. Hi, how are you doing? Brendan, hi. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Sorry. Uh, what happens, uh, if anyone's listening back to this or, or is listening live, um, our, our system generates usernames sometimes, and sometimes they're a little bit hard to guess. So currently you're <laughs> showing to me, Brendan, as uh, ZTGXCXAW. Uh, so yeah, always a bit tricky there. Welcome Sounds to like Teachers me. Talk Radio. Um I was just talking a little bit there at the start, just about what we've got lined up in the show. Um, introducing really briefly, like in a sentence, sort of yourself and Steve Dockin, who's going to be joining us as well, and hopefully we'll be able to call him. But why don't you um, introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about what you currently do. Well, hi, Nathan. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, yeah, my name is Brendan Prince. Um, I have been a teacher for over 25 years and my mission within all my teaching because I was head of outdoor education PE at, at a boys grammar school um, was because we live in Torquay and near the water was water safety so there was a lot of water safety in my world and that water safety just became more prevalent um, as it seemed more and more people going on the water and it became a mission of mine through a number of incidents um, and I actually gave up teaching to promote water safety on a larger scale. I set up a charity called Above Water and uh, wanted to get my mission for water safety and drone prevention 
uh, more in the public eye. So I decided to paddleboard around Britain last year and set a few world records doing that. And that kind of leads me to where I am now in my daily pursuit of promoting water safety, whether that's through our education system or many, many other channels that we've got and use. Fantastic. Um, and so uh, what was, you know, your personal sort of relationship with swimming growing up? Because obviously, you know, when we get on to talking about it in the curriculum, it is a fairly modern, I say modern compared to my age, it's a fairly modern element of the, the national curriculum swimming being there. What was your sort of relationship? Did you grow up swimming a lot? Were you someone who had swimming lessons? Yeah, I was, I, I was, a privileged person in that I had swimming lessons paid for by my parents at a very early age. And then, you know, that sort of ignited my passion and love of swimming, but that was all pool-based, chlorine-based kind of swimming. Um, I swam competitively. And then when I kind of got to an age where I was kind of fed up of going up and down the swimming pool, really, I got into open water swimming in the sort of early nineties, um, uh, cause I went to university in Plymouth and obviously being right on the water there, the Ocean City, uh, you know, so much open water swimming. And really kind of then I was the only one, occasionally you'd find another swimmer, open water swimming, but spent the next then 30 years. And that's all I do. I swim every day on top of my normal training um, because it's so good for my body, um, both fitness-wise, well-being-wise, and, and, uh, and just stretching out the aches and pains. So yeah, I swim every day. I've done quite a few swim challenges. I did a 50 mile swim challenge a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of open swimming. So that's where, again, with my passion for swimming and wanted to share that passion, both of the enjoyment and the benefits and, and obviously the health and safety elements to it. So I'm, you know, I'm pitching you at, you, you know, you're at the top end of my swimming scale, as far as, you know, people involved in education, when it goes to, you know, you know, the very top end there. And we did put a poll out and we talked to, you know, I asked primary school teachers mainly because this is essentially an element of the primary curriculum uh, to some extent. And um, there, you know, I think one of the things maybe when we talk about it more is there, there is an, uh, unlike uh, our set standards for what we would expect for people's ability in maths people's ability in um english where we might have um expectations of number of gcse level or, or things like that um swimming falls more in line i would i would put it with music and elements like that where some people will and some people can't and there's it was at least 10 percent of our, our respondents who said that they couldn't swim at all uh, does that surprise you about the workforce that there would be non-swimmers within it <laughs> Um, do you know, I, I class swimming as uh, we should teach women in the same way we teach children to run. We teach children to ride a bike. Um, it's it's a it's a, an essential skill, an essential skill. And um, unfortunately, even though it's this essential skill, I find that it's well over 50 percent. All the work I do up and down the country, um, England, Wales, predominantly. Um, I find that it's more than 50% of children either can't swim, won't swim, or don't have any access at all to swim. Um, well over 50%, in fact. Um, now, I can see Steve's joined us. Can you hear me there? Yeah, good evening. 
Hi, yeah, yeah. We were just talking a little bit, um, and uh, Brendan had introduced himself, kind of set the scene a little bit, talked about what he currently does. Um, now, Steve, you're uh, CEO of Northwest Academies Trust. So, do you want to yeah. tell us like a little bit about what you currently do? Maybe like a little background, and then and then we'll kind of dig in a little bit to your kind of personal uh, relationship with swimming, shall I call it? So, set the yeah. scene for our listeners. No worries. Um, nice to nice to speak to you. And sorry for being slightly late to the call. Um, yeah, my background. Um, I've been in teaching now just over twenty five years. I started in secondary, um, went to primary. Um, always been a sports enthusiast. Always been into sport in a big way, and particularly swimming. Um, and I was primary teacher. Worked through various schools. Um, worked up the career ladder. Um, senior leader, deputy head teacher, and then a head teacher. Um, and my current role is the school that I, that I started that was listed for closure some years ago and we managed to save it from closure and became a flagship school for our multi-academy trust um, and we've now got 10 schools within the trust one secondary and nine primaries and a couple of free schools are pre-opening and most of the schools are strongly based on sport really and you know what children do and their outcomes in relation to sport but one of the things we have developed over a period of time across the trust is a strong swimming program so the background's mostly in teaching but it comes from a personal passion that swimming is a sport that ultimately one day could save your life and you know you can't underestimate things that can do that for you and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about. It. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that that priority of sport and swimming because whilst yeah. it is a it's a it's a published piece of data, you know, it is something that you should be school should be putting on their website, as far as I'm aware, at least in England. Um, but it's not necessarily thought of, I guess, within that maths, English, science headline data so maybe we'll get onto that kind of weighting of what our expectations are and what we're going to do later. Now, can I ask you before we kind of sort of start unpicking the importance of it and all of that your your personal sort of experience of swimming you know you said you enjoy it were, were you uh you know a young swimmer you were someone who maybe had had, had parents parents pay, paying for lessons or was it later yeah. in life no i mean i i um i was a non-swimmer till the age of eight um and i think you know i've got two children at the moment i'll talk about them in a moment but as a non-swimmer to the end of age the age of eight i always remember my mum saying to me you know that she was holding me in a swimming pool at the age of eight and i was screaming don't let me go you know now i went and did like most children at that point swimming lessons but i happened to be okay at it it was a sport that i could do quite naturally and you know very quickly i worked my way through you know various competitive programs to to regional and national level in terms of being a swimmer so my swimming career really was from the age of eight through learning up until about 15 16 and then then i stopped but i also played water polo after that but i have a son who swims at an incredibly high level at british national level and i suppose your passion for something that you develop as a child you know feeds into the rest of your family so my personal you know my personal swimming career was decent um but you know i see how much dedication swimming takes and in, in the swimming world you know you can't underestimate you know the effort that swimmers put into their swimming programs in comparison to other sports you know when i see top level swimmers um if i look at my son as an example you know he's 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 at british national level um and he's doing up to 19 hours a week in the pool on top of his a levels um now <laughs> The commitment is huge. And I suppose, you know, what swimming gives you is that discipline and all around discipline that does impact on those other subjects you mentioned. And, you know, you have to be well organized. You have to be um, physically fit to do it. But also, you know, you have to enjoy the, the passion that comes from the sport. And I suppose that's what you want to try and instill when we do it in a school program at every level. 
Yeah, and I find that so interesting. You know, I should say for the listeners as well, my you know, my own background in swimming is, you know, I had lessons that, that my parents paid for and, and dragged me along to. I could swim. I was never a, a very particularly good or competitive swimmer, but enough to make sure that, you know, I spent a lot of time canoeing and I spent a lot of time in the surf at beaches where I was water confident. And I've never been afraid of the water in that sense um because i've had these these kind of basic skills whilst not at a you know athlete level as i you know i I would put it it sounds like for your son they're certainly you know really talented um and i guess when we're looking at at what we want to do for, for children there is I guess like any sport, then a spectrum that we're looking for, a kind of base level of people who may just enjoy it or want to be water confident, all the way up to ones who might have a real talent for it. No, absolutely. And I think that's what, you know, that's what all sport is. I think you can compete at any level, and but sport is about competing with yourself. And that's what swimming gives you, you know, it gives you the opportunity to, to be better than you can be, you know, and each day try and improve at what you're trying to do. And I think it's something anybody can do. It puts no pressure on your joints. Um, you know, you, you're supported within the water and, and all of those elements that make it something that's, that's such a healthy dynamic to, you know, for all children and all grown ups to pursue throughout life. Um, and I wanted to throw back to Brendan just, you know, just quickly at the start here, um, because, you know, I don't know whether this is a personal perception or whether this is just, you know, changing things. But certainly I am hearing of, you know, you talked about yourself open water swimming back when, when you were the only one doing it. But certainly there seem to be more adults engaging in open water swimming, which can have dangers. And certainly when we talk about paddleboarding, I have seen, you know, more paddleboards than I have seen anything else in my life um, over this summer down here in South Wales. And there are, you know, there are risks to it, uh, particularly on, you know, on coastal areas. Um, is, you know, is there a, a heightened need for water safety, do you think? Are we becoming more, you know, is lockdowns and staycations making us more an island nation where we're, where, where we're swimming more, I guess is what I'm asking. Absolutely. I mean, I think you've probably just hit the nail on the head, really, mm. in that we, on one hand, are pushing well-being, blue space thinking. You know, there's a whole different world out there. You can get out and, and tick so many boxes for your health and happiness. Swimming being one, paddleboarding being another, or just all the traditional methods, whether it be sailing, kayaking, whatever. You know, we're all pushing, pushing, pushing that um, and trying to make the most of it. And, you know, most advertising at the minute, you know, it's cool to advertise a paddleboard because it gives you that adventure. Those people must be, you know, out there and doing and getting the best out of life. And then on the other hand, we're not teaching all the basics that we kind of presume that people should know on an island. You know, if I, if a paddleboarder goes paddleboarding and they know what they're doing, it makes it look so easy. If a swimmer swims open water swimming and they, they used to do it, it makes it look so easy. So then you've got the people who have no idea what they don't know, giving it a go. And it's then that obviously if something goes wrong, they don't know that those things can even go wrong. They've never had, you know, I, I teach my lifeguarding element. You know, we, we get lots of people coming to try and be lifeguards because they think that's it's a good thing to do when you're 17, 18, 19. Um, haven't got a swimmer background. Haven't been taught swimming through primary school. Haven't been taught swimming through secondary school. And they're trying to swim and and as uh, Stephen said um you know swimming takes a lot of dedication to do it well to do it at a lifeguard level or do it at a, a national level but um you know just to get 
them to a level where they can be safe is what we're kind of talking about. And if you can get them to a level where they'd be safe, then they're, they're at a level where actually they can be confident and enjoy the water and get all these benefits that we're talking about. Yeah, and so I guess, you know, we're talking about two different elements. As we go through, we're talking about maybe water safety. We're also talking about swimming as a sport, as a fitness, as a, you know, a, a kind of a positive in that way. Now, the the other bit I wanted to kind of sort of put out to both of you before we started is, I you know, I something I noticed... Um, at the, you know, before the end of term, this was, and it came to me because a very tragic incident of a fourteen-year-old uh, child in Swansea um, swimming in a river, actually, rather than the sea, but had drowned. And I looked at this and I thought, do you know, I haven't heard some of those national messages for a while, where we used to get. Um, you know, certainly scare campaigns, uh, you know, to put people off swimming in, uh, you know, disused quarries, for instance, or, or, or those type of things. And I looked and it is still a a thing that is happening. And th- those campaigns are there. Maybe it's 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 my thing, um, awareness of them that, that had diminished. But we are still seeing young people drown quite a lot. Um, I'll throw that to Steve first of all. Steve, is yeah, that I something mean- that you recognise from your area? Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm based in Chester, and Chester has a historic river that runs through the middle of it. Um, every year they do, you know, an open water race called the D-Mile. But there is always a couple of tragedies every year of, of, of teenagers dying, and particularly with the hot weather we've had recently. You know, it's something that I, I, I tend to agree. I, I think we react rather than a proactive towards what you could do with open water swimming, you know. A child dies, there's an instant campaign in a local area that we must do this, whereas we don't teach and we don't instruct in a way that that is positive unless we do it through school-based swimming. You know, it doesn't happen as much at secondary schools, and I know we'll come on to that, but if you could do it all through primary schools, you could teach the water safety skills as part of a national programme. And, and I do feel because it's touched on rather than taught well in many schools, um, there's an opportunity missed. And um, Brendan, is it something that you are, you know, you are working in water safety? You know, you, you've mentioned your work towards, you know, stopping drowning. Um, sorry, I can't, is it hashtag drowning? Hashtag drowning, drowning. Stop drowning. Stop, stop drowning. drowning. Yeah, stop drowning. Um, is it, you know, do you... Yeah, I mean, the numbers, the numbers are crazy they really are crazy mm. and and lockdown hasn't helped that because we've got so much more many more people going to the beach and actually then they've discovered the beach and they discovered the coastal environment as well as the inland waterways and you know draining is catastrophic absolutely catastrophic and you know what those numbers you know are uh, you know we we try and beat around the bush with some of those numbers but they're, they're growing. They're growing. We hide some of the statistics for lots of political reasons, but they are growing. And the big issue here is, is on so many levels, on so many levels that it's almost hard to, to, to start, really, in that we've got the, uh, the our children not being taught and they're going through and getting into trouble. And getting into trouble obviously we've got our draining statistics but we've got we haven't got a very good recording method for our rescues so i'll give you an example of where i live which is torbay so in torbay we had um, a couple of rescues in one week both those rescues involved helicopter um you know the cost of that as steve said if we were 
uh, more proactive rather than reactive. The money that was involved in that rest, those rescues alone, if we could put that into a budget to get greater water safety messages out there. And, you know, the, the problem with water safety is it's not sexy, you know, and most people turn off as soon as they hear, you know, water safety, we should be doing it like this, not doing it like that. So, it, you know, we're very clever in the way that we uh, package and publicize computer games and, and all levels of PR, but we don't have that money to be able to do the same for water safety. You know, back in the 70s, we had those 70s and 80s, we had those really hard hitting um, public information <laughs> films. And I remember. You know, we, we all remember those. Um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of purpose in that to, to help people understand that they don't know everything. And there are dangers as well as adventures and excitement to be had around water. Yeah, you know, I think it, it, one of the things for me, and I, you know, maybe we, you know, we'll talk about this when it, we we talk to Steve particularly about how they they build up the structure. But when I, you know, when I heard about this horrible story, uh, you know, about a young person drowning, and I I see a reaction, and our reaction can sometimes be, you know, okay, we need to talk to the rest of the teenagers, but. Is it not a case, uh, you know, and I'll throw this to Brendan first, that we are, you know, at that point, we're already eight years too late, you know, maybe more 10 years too late, because to get someone to swim is not, you know, the, the Association of Swimming um, uh, talk about it being 24 hours. And, and maybe we'll talk a bit about that when we get to it. But it, it's certainly an investment to be able to swim. And so if you cannot swim and you are a teenager and you're making poor choices, you are a long way off being water safe. Or are there things, um, Brendan, that, that, that we can teach them that will at least minimise risk? Absolutely. You know, and there's, there's, there's never a lost cause. You know, if you're 17, if you're 77, you know, if you get that 45 minute lesson on water safety or just understanding about being more confident around water it's going to help you so you know regardless of uh, uh, you know if they've missed the boat pr for primary level but could gain it through secondary schools and a lot of work we do are trying to get more secondary schools engaged um, in enrichment you know because they've lost those years they've lost that being taught at primary school but we could still try and give them some benefits to understanding and, and it's mainly about self-rescue self-rescue in any situation and and being able to help others if others get into trouble fantastic um now i should say if there is anyone listening uh, in live you can of course text us in you can tweet us in you can even call in if you have a question that you want to ask or a message that you want to put across you can do that live in the podbean app or you can do it on our twitter at tt radio uh, 2022 um now when uh, we, we'll have a quick ad break in a second uh, and when we come back i'm really keen to hear steve about the the structural approach if that makes sense to how you're um you are approaching the teaching of swimming because i think teachers will be really interested in hearing that and um, particularly as I, you know i will put out some bad examples of places that i will work without names you know where it is done for half a term at the end of year six after mm. sats you know and, and things like that and we can contrast ways that it is done well um so we'll um pop to the ad breaks and when we come back we'll be speaking again to steve docking and brendan prince about swimming and water safety we'll see you all on the other side This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. 
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Borodar Pal Kroisu Abitawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Um, we are here tonight on uh, Teachers Talk Radio uh, on the Twilight Show, um, talking with Steve Docking, CEO of Northwest Academies Trust, and Brendan Prince, an adventurer, lifeguard, and water safety crusader. We're talking about swimming in the curriculum. Um, we are going to, you know, going to cover off a lot of bits and pieces. We have got questions coming in already um, uh, over the text. So, you know, if you are listening live, don't forget you can, you know, it is. Teachers Talk Radio, and we are live because we want to talk to you. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll pop this one first of all. And I guess, uh, Brendan, you might be best placed to, uh, to answer this. Um, we've had a text in here from Emma who says, is there any data that tells us whether young people who die from drowning are able to swim? I always worry about being able to swim gives kids confidence when they should be fearful. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just read that one myself. Um, yes, um, basically, you've got an 80% better chance of survival if you can swim. So it's they're fairly um, it's fairly black and white that um, you've got a better chance to understand and survive in a situation, because one of the biggest reasons why anyone drowns is because of the panic. Panic. It's often not the water that kills you, but it's the the panic that that the situation you're in that causes you. By being able to swim, that will teach you so much about the water environment as well as the water and your own personal skills, and you don't panic. So you've got this 80% well catalogued, 80% chance of survival through being able to swim, which is which is why swimming is a really important part of the whole water safety um, spectrum. Fantastic. Well, th- you know, thank you for answering that. And, I, you know, as more questions come in, I'm, I'm sure we'll throw them out. Now, what I wanted to do uh, just at the start of this section, because we are talking about swimming within the curriculum, uh, you know, is just read off some of the, um, you know, the statements about swimming in the national curriculum. Now, this is from Swim England um, and, and this is from their website. So I'm just going to read this out. Now, it says that since 1994, swimming and water safety have been a statutory element of the national curriculum for physical education in England. This means that every 11 year old child should leave primary school with the skills to keep themselves safe whilst enjoying swimming with their friends and family the free outcomes um, that they set it's the only sport to be included within the national curriculum program of study specifically um, and all primary schools must provide swimming and water safety lessons in either key stage one or key stage two now these are the three elements that they list uh, perform safe self-rescue in different water-based situations swim competently confidently and proficiently over a distance of at least 25 meters and then use a range of strokes effectively for example front crawl backstroke breaststroke um, it also goes on to say that teaching all pupils since uh, 2012 swinging 
England has monitored the provision of curriculum swimming and water safety in primary schools and pupil attainment. And research has consistently shown that only half of pupils meet the required standards. Uh, and there are many reasons why schools struggle to deliver swimming and water safety lessons, including cost, time out of lessons, lack of confidence and a lack of understanding of the outcomes. Now, that sets the scene a little bit for us. And I do want to sort of co compare and contrast that for people with, you know, if you think about if we were reporting that only 50% of children were leaving primary school able to read, if we were talking about 50% uh, of children being able to leave doing you know, addition and subtraction, because uh, some of this, you know, is uh, 25 metres is a length of, uh, you know, a, a fairly average small small pool. It's it's not a very big pool um, by those standards. So, Steve, you know, that is the backdrop of what's expected. Now, I did say I'd give some examples of bad practice I've encountered, and certainly some people will recognise that um, in their schools, swimming you know they might not even recognize it as part of their expectation as a teacher and it is something that is booked through administration or through the head teacher in some way a pool is booked and the children are walked to a swimming pool by a, a collection of staff probably slightly higher ratios than they would normally have for that classroom uh, and they get into the pool and some swim teachers do some stuff with them and then they take them back and that possibly is all that a, a class teacher might be involved with swimming at their school and at the end the end is the end because they have reached the end of primary school by that point if they're doing it in year five or year six. That's me setting out what I would consider a fairly normal or possibly on the bad side, you know, and we'll talk through that, provision of swimming within primary. Can you talk us through how you would like to see it developed, how, how you are delivering it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll give you, I mean, this is, Hugh comes with a huge caveat, this is what we do rather than what we should do. And there's probably, hopefully for people listening, there's some elements that they can pick up. Um, when I started as head teacher, my you know, first job as head teacher, we had 10, it was a small village school, we had 10 out of the 11 in year six who couldn't swim. Um, now, it was about eight and a half miles from the nearest swimming pool, so instantly walking's out the, out of the equation to do this. But we did what you just described to start off, which was, you know, we got as many children swimming as we could at random times through booking pool time. And one of the things we found is that if you wait until key stage two, the children are slightly more reticent to swim because they lose the confidence if they haven't got it. If you, if you get a four-year-old child who goes in the pool, they're more willing to engage straight away than an eight-year-old child who's got a fear that's been built up over a longer period of time. So, so it's very easy for us. Um, when this started and what this coincided with was PPA, um, you know, teachers planning preparation assessment time, we wanted to set up a programme that gave the teachers the time to do the things that they needed and also develop swimming as a holistic programme throughout the school. So we started with, you know, the expectation that every year group went swimming. Now, at that time, the school was small. Um, there was 50 children in the school. So we filled a coach with 50 children. Um, and off we went, you know, we went to the bus with everyone from reception to year six. We all went in the pool at various times, but we did it once a week, every week throughout the school year. So it's the same model that you do through private lessons. Now, you know, my career has been successful and the schools I've worked in have been successful. And the, school, the small village school over the time and having an outstanding Ofsted turned into a one form entry school. But we were determined to keep the programmes going. Why should a school of 50, a child, get everything in terms of swimming? And why in a school of 200 do they have to share? So as we grew, the swimming programme grew with it. So 
reception class year one and two went swimming um the bus would go off to the bus would drop those children off they'd have their weekly swimming lesson um it would come back pick up years three and four who would then go and then year five and six and you you develop this program so every child got a weekly swimming lesson that was the starting point of what we wanted to achieve we didn't have our own pool for doing that at that particular time in terms of the delivery um we looked at what they needed you know because if you're doing this from reception, naturally, some children by the end of year two or year three will meet that 25 metre threshold quite quickly. And if that's the only expectation, you know, what's beyond the expected level? What do we need to do for those kids? How do we get them fired up about water? And what do we do with that? So we started teaching water polo, um, a variety of other sports that, you know, are water based and, and getting the kids really active with the swimming, you know, and, and getting them involved with water. So it didn't just become the up and down, up and down, you know, and as you said, teaching three strokes for seven years, because you wouldn't just teach, you know, number for seven years in mathematics without doing all the other elements that exist within it. So we developed a holistic program that looked at you know getting the basics right enjoyment of water and then leading on to doing bigger and better things now the success was over you know a period of about seven or eight years we were then able to compete as a school with children who weren't affiliated to swimming clubs in national swimming galas and that's a different league you know we were able to compete and we were comfortably mid-table within those galas but that was when you went up against the private schools that had elite swimmers as i described you know in, in, in my son's example of those who were going on to do bigger and better things but we built a program around expectation around delivery around fun and and making sure that teachers got time to deliver um to to get their ppa cover we used professional swimming coaches to teach the lessons who got used to teaching the same children week in week out we used our teaching assistants to make sure all children were transported to forwards and backwards successfully and you know as head teacher you know to get this going i went to a hell of a lot of swimming lessons to make sure it happened and it worked you know but i'm, I'm incredibly proud of what took place you know you, you went from nothing to every child in the school being able to do 25 metres by the end of year two quite comfortably. Wow, you know, I, I, I find that so, you know, both simplistic in a way in what you're saying, but just it mind-blowing in the sense of the, the, the system that I have been ingrained into does that make sense like you what you, what you have yeah. said to me yeah of course swimming every week of course you know that's how you, how you learn to swim that's what I pay for my son to do you know yeah. where, well both of my my children are they go to weekly swimming lessons and that's how I'm expecting them to swim and then the, um what it, it was worked. it that what was it that made you you know make that change was, was it sort of parental comments was it looking at the children your own experiences I think for me, it's 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 a combination. You know, the parents really enjoyed the fact that you did that for them. Now, there were some, as you've rightly said, that thought, well, if they're going swimming with school, we don't have to do the private lessons because, and there was some who could afford to do that. But you know, we always have a mixed economy in every school now. now that school happened to be, you know, a low percentage of free school meals. We're talking around the ten percent mark. So we with families who could contribute to transport and do all those other elements. But I think for for that school, I thought it was important to get as many children swimming as possible. But the model was something that, that worked and it was successful. And, and I felt, you know, when you looked at the parents, they were pleased that this was taking pace, place and, you know, there was high parental confidence in what was being delivered. But most important was the children. You know, they loved it. There wasn't a single child at the end of each week who didn't look forward to swimming. Nobody forgot the kit. Nobody, you know, nobody didn't want to go. You know, it was because they'd done it since reception. It was part of the habits of what they'd learned of, of being of good schooling. So they really enjoyed it. 
yeah you know it is you know as i think about it and i think about you know what what i i if i was a parent at one of you i'd be incredibly grateful because you know and possibly we'll talk about this you know later on is swimming can be well swimming is an expense to schools because yeah. you know even though you are you know you're talking about there are parents who may be able to contribute to transport that is money that you know you could have through a pta been put towards new ipads or so there, there is always an yeah. opportunity cost isn't there um and and so you've you've decided to direct it that way and in you know I, I, you know i'm not sure if um if Brendan is able to comment really on the disparity between sort of, you know, wealth well, I, and non-wealth well, I mean, for what, just hearing Steve water safety. Sorry, go yeah, on. Just hearing yeah. Steve talk there. I mean, it's just wonderful. Um, you know, what a what a fantastic example Steve is, is, is demonstrating and shows can be done with the right motivation and dedication from the teachers to facilitate that happening. Um, and I would be as bold to say that he is in the 1% of schools up and down the country that are like that and are doing that weekly swimming lessons through their primary school career. That is, you know, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, I, the other end of the spectrum is obviously the percentage that do not absolutely nothing. But there's also the percentage that might do three hours in their school career. Um, and you started this particular bit of discussion with talking about the national curriculum objectives and you know those those objectives need to be thrown up into the air and mm. and when they come back down they need to lead with survival we need to teach our children the first thing on there is you know if you fall into a water what are you going to do how are you going to get yourself out you know why we are trying to teach children you know 27,000 schools how many of that is primary level why are we trying to teach those children front crawl you know it, it takes hours to teach front crawl you know why are we doing that why are we and it's not wasting time but it kind of is when you're not when you're then bolting on a little bit of water safety at the end you know in all my lifeguarding career i've never once seen anybody in trouble in the water go into front crawl to get themselves out of it it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen why are we not teaching survival strokes to start with you know talking about different water-based scenarios you know all these reasons but i'll tell you why the main reason is is because if we go right back to the beginning here we don't teach teachers how to teach this mm. now of course when we're saying well actually we get we get swimming instructors in to do that teachers still need to understand kind of the importance of it so any school i go to like steve who is brilliant and doing a fantastic job there'll be one or two teachers who've got a swim background. So for Steve, his son is massively, you know, a, a national swimmer. You know, there's a love and desire for swimming there. You only need that one or two teachers to have it. And normally then they understand, well, how do I book a pool? How am I, what are the logistics here? You know, have I got a pool? That, one thing that doesn't mention in any of the stats is actually most places haven't got facilities. So if I look at somewhere like Oxford, the, the city of Oxford, you know, the facilities there of their five pools, of which I think only three have reopened after COVID, you know, mm. with the best will in the world, if every primary school wanted swimming lessons, they physically couldn't, physically mm. couldn't. So we've got that end to combat as well as, as all the other elements. Um, and I think it starts with getting teachers to understand and be taught. You know, we do quite a bit of 
going into uh, teaching training establishments and helping teachers, potential teachers, new teachers understand what this is. You know, to a non-swimmer, what you know, the national curriculum objectives are gobbledygook, really. And then, then they don't actually understand how to then talk to the swim teachers about getting the best out of what we're doing. You know, at no point is it discussed in there that if you live, for example, in Oxford, and you're surrounded by inland waterways, if you live in Cardiff and there's a big river that runs through the centre and then obviously you've got the coastal environment, you know, it's make it specific to your environment, what's going on around there, so that children can understand to stay not just safe but confident in that environment and obviously not get into those troubles because they've learned about it. Um, and I, you know, I want to throw in there just, you know, while we're talking about teacher training, we could put out a poll just to ask teachers about um, you know, on Twitter, asking teachers about what they remember, and this is, you know, obviously reported, so it's, it's you know, might be hazy and 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 everything, but it was around, you know, half of teachers who were saying that they had, you know, they didn't remember anything about swimming being mentioned on their teacher training, and it is a condensed course, and you know, I did a PGC even, which was a year, so it was very condensed, but it was in primary, and I do not remember this being mentioned beyond, you know, somewhere that it existed within within the curriculum but probably that I wouldn't have to worry about it as I've described you know before and it wasn't until you know I, I you know much later when I was teaching a year group that happened to be t- timetabled through the school plan to do swimming that term that, that I you know even really found out so I think that yeah definitely there is something to be said there about do teachers understand now i want to throw to steve there because it's a really interesting concept and you know i can see entirely why you decided to use you know professional swimming instructors and i will use that as you know is a skilled trained thing have you you know was there a point where you considered training up teachers within school to do this is do you think that would be too much is it no, it's a, it's a bit of a mix and both. I mean, it's a bit, a bit of both, really. I mean, we, we use a combination to, I do think teaching, uh, there's a difference between teaching water confidence once a child can move within the water, and I'm not going to say use strokes or whatever else, than actually teaching a child to physically learn to swim, you know, from, you know, the, the getting in the water and splashing your face to armband stage. So that's where we tended to use the professional teachers to get the children up and moving and going, because they're bound to be better than teachers, primary teachers who are generalists, really. So, have I got you there? No, you're still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, but no, I think one of, one of the things for us, we set up um, a free school after I developed this model at, um, at Delamere, my, my existing school. And what you were saying about teacher training, we started with one class um, and the teacher we employed wasn't a teaching specialist. But if you set the expectation from the start of what you want to do, you know, and that comes from the head teachers. I really do think that's the target audience, you know, that heads have to be interested in what swimming is beyond going up and down a pool um, and I think that's that's the important bit really that if you get the program right and it's about enjoyment and fun you know it actually works but there was a point made before about disadvantage and the other thing is our, our trust is across um, oh, nasty noise it's okay you're still coming through yeah. Steve it's yeah. still coming through fine, right? I beg your yeah. pardon. No, but it's there was a point made about disadvantage earlier as well, and I think that's one thing that what we found is starting this in an area where there was limited disadvantage, 
it's made me more passionate about making sure our schools that are in highly disadvantaged areas get exactly the same thing. And I think that's the most important message I can give out there, really. It is, you know, we'll come to cost and all those other elements. It is expensive, and it, but it's such a vital skill. And why should children in disadvantaged areas, where your statistic at the start, if you go to a school with a high percentage of free school meals, it's likely you're up to 70 or 80% who can't hit the 25 metres rather than 50%. So, you know, the 50% in itself is misleading. It's not one in two children in every school. There'll be some children where it's it's a lot higher than that so I think it's about expectation and pitch and making sure that it's valued within the school setup now going back to your point on teacher training the one thing that I remember from my teacher training was what was a general knowledge question that we did once in a quiz which was what's the only statutory element of the national curriculum and the answer swimming right you know and, and that was it right? you know and that was all it was said so in one lecture so it is something that's low profile but statutory and that shouldn't make sense really yeah, you know, I, I, you've mentioned the disadvantage there because there is a, a couple of lotteries yeah. I feel that children are, you know, are, are thrown into when it comes to water safety. Uh, one yeah. of them is obviously location. You know, as I said, yeah. I live on the on the south coast, and you know, Brendan is coastal as well. You know, we naturally are going to have parents and people around us who are aware of the you know the, the, these heightened fears because we, we are near a lot of water not that everyone in the yeah. uk isn't near water but if you see what i mean so we've got that then we've got the uh, wealth of your family uh, initially mm-hmm. and you know as you said you know i am well off enough to pay for both of my children from you know that nirvana album cover level yeah where you know we were dunking them underwater as <laughs> as as fairly newborns they were learning to swim that's a great uh, example getting great in the barn great example yeah. um you know so i've got photos like that on my wall you know but i could afford to do that so there will be families who can't now uh that means that you, you it's going to be easier for my children's school i guess to hit those targets because the, the children are going in there, you know, with with some private lessons in their in in their bag, um, and then the other thing which we, we we maybe haven't touched on, or you know, I think Brendan touched on it a bit there with the the location of your swimming pools. Is I've been lucky enough to work in uh, schools where a coach wasn't needed to get to mm. swimming pools. Both both of my uh, most recent primary schools that I worked in, we could walk our children there, and coaches were expensive. That was a significant cost that we were able to to get around. Um, and then the other one is pool hire. Now, some pool, schools will have pools, but we know that energy bills are going up and we know that cost, well, cost of everything is going up. So maybe there are parents cutting back. Um, I, my question is, and I, you know, I'll throw this to, to, to Brendan first of all, um, more people are you know, going to the beach, staycationing, buying paddle boards, uh, open water swimming. We're having heat waves, so we're jumping in rivers whilst parents having to cut back on swimming lessons, schools are having to cut back on the things they spend money on. Are we heading towards kind of a perfect storm here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got to do something now. Tomorrow tomorrow could be too late because that child makes a wrong decision rather than a right decision and, and, and drowns. And I go back to what you said a minute ago. I, I taught, I, so I go up and down the country, go into schools, teaching water safety as from a lifeguard's perspective as an enrichment kind of cherry on the cake to what we try and do which is teach children small groups of children within schools to become ambassadors and they go on and teach our lessons for us getting young leaders to do it is our foot through the door in primaries and primaries kind of love that but we go to some primaries and i went to a very prominent three miles from the coast 
coastal town. You would all know it if I said it. 36, 37 children in the class. Only one had ever been to the beach. You know, and they, they were two and a half, three miles from the coast. So we've got to understand how actually, you know, there are there are parts of our country that one don't have access or don't have a desire to. Now, there are many reasons why money being one, um, religion, you know, we can go through all the reasons why um, access might be reduced or non-existent. Um, and we are, as you kind of said, um, heading towards a, a perfect storm. And again, this will be reactionary rather than let's do something about it now before those figures get even worse than they are now. Um, now, Steve, you know, I, I think yeah. I already know the answer to this, but, you know, I'm going to put it out there there anyway. It, within the finances of schools as a school leader, have you at points had to wince about the cost of your swimming program? Is it something that you, you know, you you would have to make cuts to other things to maintain? No, I think it, it's not about this. It's, you can recoup money against it through voluntary contributions to transport, to the swimming program, to the cost of teachers and stuff. And it's always through voluntary contributions. Now, I'll give you, you know, we it, it roughly comes at about £4 a lesson per week per child. Now, if you times that over the course of a year and, you know, we're doing about 35 weeks in the year, what's £120, £140, you know, over a course of a year, that's quite expensive. But we break it down into bite-sized chunks so people can pay weekly, termly and so on. And we always build in about a third in our better schools that won't pay or can't quite afford it. And and the four pound, it, it, the school contribution is a pound, if you like. So four pounds to parents, a pound from the school, um, and then a margin for people not being able to afford to pay. And then to put the dem, to put that in demographic terms, in our schools where there's lower percentage of free school meals, we get. 80 to 90 percent of parents paying in our schools where there's higher percentage of school school uh, parents on free school meals 40 to 50 percent but you offset it in terms of the cost is exactly the same because the swimming lessons are the same but you can put more in because you've got more pupil premium money and i think it's such a valuable skill in terms of using some elements of your resource so it's a very simplistic one to work out exactly how much it's going to cost and it should never cost you more so it's one that's easy to put in your budget but what we have noticed is transport costs are increasing um and, you know, it will get more expensive to do this. So, you know, over time at the moment, the schools that do the full programmes and the schools that put their effort into it are committed to these. And I think while they're committed, it shouldn't change. But it isn't cheap, but it's it's where you put your priorities. You know, we waste a lot of money in schools and I don't think you can waste money on teaching someone a life skill that's going to be with them forever. Um, now, I, you know, a, a perfect transition. I know I've, you know, I, I should say to any listeners, I do try and prep our guests with a little bit and we have skated over different topics as we've moved around but you know you talked a little bit about parental contributions there and I wanted yeah. to kind of try and gauge this idea of we talk about it and obviously many of us will remember in the you know the 80s the 70s the the, the scare things some people from coastal areas will feel um a uh, particular uh, passion that children need to be able to swim. Do you yeah. see that from the parents? What, what is the reaction from parents? We, we, you know, say I join the school and you, you I, I, I find out, you know, I've moved into the area, I join the school and you say this is happening. What sort of reaction do you get from parents? Is it something there is a demand for? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it, it, just think it's a, it's a good question because 
most of the time, you know, children come through and if you start in reception and you make it an expectation, it works because it, it built into their, you know, their DNA of, of being a member of that school community that they will swim at the school and that's the expectation. But, you know, obviously some children join at different stages and people do ask the question, you know, why do you swim every week? And, and I think if you can give an honest answer to parents about why you do it and what the benefits are, most people go with it. It's never normally about cost that people complain. And if it is, I'll say, well, you know, as, as a head where I used to do, we'll just pay half this term and see how you get on. And if your kids love it, you can pay, you know, full price next term. And, and but I think when they see their children enjoying something that others are doing, even though they may not have done it in their previous schools, they go with it. You know, the, the parents genuinely go with it. It's, it's never a battle with the parents. But finances can be touchy. And, you know, many times I say, well, don't pay this term. You know, and we've had children on free school meals who have been really good at the competitive swimming side. And we've got them to do their first goalers. And what's sad is that when, when they leave the schools, of course, that ends because their parents then can't afford to continue with the swimming lessons at a private level. But we do what we can while we've got them and make sure that they, you know, they genu genuinely love what they do within the water. And Brendan, do you do you see that there is a you know a demand and you know a, a, a want from parents, I, I guess, or even from the young people themselves who you interact with to learn these skills, to be empowered by these these things? Is that oh, something that you know? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why our our young leaders as water safety and swimming ambassadors work so well because they understand actually what a difference they're making. So when a young leader goes in and teaches an assembly whether in, the, in their own school or actually in a partner school, um, overwhelming, you know, pride on their faces and success in the delivery. So absolutely, without doubt, that is the case. But there are so many hurdles to, you know, some of the places I've gone on the South Coast recently, you know, the hurdles of parents are not going to contribute any money at all. You know, one, because is in some realms of society believe they shouldn't have to make a voluntary contribution and and then in others that actually well do we see the value in it yeah of course we see the value in it 100 percent. do you see the value in it to be able to give x amount of money no we don't see that much value in it you know it's it's a really difficult balance in some areas and especially in areas where their their backgrounds do not encourage swimming or understand mm. swimming and consequently you know to get that extra wedge of, of money is going to be really tricky and you know that talking to some of our local pools who are who only just were able to reopen after covid mm. you know without with very little support and and now are just thinking well actually we're gonna have to just because of these energy these prices go up in the same way as they are for residential then you know they got no hope they've got absolutely no hope of you know triple tripling their costs for for heating the ball well, yeah yeah um, so we've got we've got all that to contend and to come and i'm i'm just waiting for the day that sports england um swim england produce some stats of what the latest of pool closures are or or mothballing pools because at the minute they're just unviable you know because you can't you know four pound for some is, is a mountain but if that went up to five or six pound then you know it's going to be catastrophic to getting children um into pools and and it, if i just hold the floor for a split second in there no, go for it we um we we talk lots about pools 
And on the other hand, we've got this the, the whole wild swimming element going through the roof. So let's start thinking not just about pools, because you know that's our that's our stable diet of getting children swimming, but let's think what local environments are there that through the warmer summer months or with the addition of wetsuits, how can we get them? You know, Surf Life Saving, SLSGB do a great job of promoting uh, young nippers getting them in the water but a national system on that i'm getting inland waterways you know uh, i know we've got this real issue at the minute with our water companies just throwing uh, raw sewage in but that's a whole different talk for another day but if we could get around that we've got all this water living on an island that we could use to really help and and get over this modern problem of being able to subsidize swimming pools because I imagine that, that you know, when we talk about the, the, the worst case scenarios of not learning to swim or making pool water safety decisions, this is not happening in swimming pools. This is happening in uh, either beaches or it's happening in harbours or uh, rivers, you know, where Absolutely. they need to use those skills and not in a chlorinated environment. Well, of course, accidents and um, malpractice happen in swimming pools and we still get our swimming pool drownings. Um but the laws on heights of swimming pools and the regulations on obviously having poolside uh, lifeguards it, it greatly reduced, greatly reduced. Of course, the stats on, on rescues are, are still high, but um, yeah, that's kind of where we're, we're at with the, the pool system, but we could get them in, into our open water um, as another way of ticking those boxes because you get a child to swim. We get lots of children that come to us that, perhaps have come to the end of their understanding and love of swimming up and down a pool because they used to be a county champion and you know suddenly to give them the freedom of swimming in the sea um but you know a, a swimmer that's half their ability will be better than them for quite a while until they gain the confidence of swimming in open water um you know there's lots to overcome there and that's where most of the drownings do of course of course happen so getting them used to that environment is half the battle because you take away that panic element as soon as you put them in flowing water they understand what the flowing water is they understand about the temperature and flow and temperature are two of the biggest killers oh and yeah certainly you know and i i reflect very strongly on my um canoe life-saving training that i used to have to to, to go through and talking about you know the, the very real differences between how you would need to behave in uh, fast flowing river water to how you know how you would behave in a lake you know these these are very different conditions um now um I um, we are going to pop to the ads, pop to the news. I'm conscious that what we have done is we have had such an amazing conversation. We've skated all over the possible plans of what we would talk about. But I'm really keen to talk about when we come back some of the real positives about what swimming can do, um, what having water good water safety skills can do, and then some steps that you know either teachers or school leaders can take or start looking into um, if they have been inspired by both of you very inspiring gentlemen this evening i should say so um brendan steve are you happy to stick around to just after the news yes of course no problem <laughs> we'll see you in about it's about five to six minutes we'll see you then this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from witherslack group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care.
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection, which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver in human language, your hub. Then there are walls, furniture, other devices, basically anything that gets in the way. So the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket they are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders allowing you to create a better wi-fi coverage in dark spots in your home at around 30 to 50 pounds, it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home. Meshing is the next solution to improve coverage. More recently, homes have been adopting the mesh system. Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option, but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at CC Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, here on Teachers Talk Radio. Now, a little bit shorter on the news there tonight because obviously today we are rapidly writing news, but it's GCSE Results Day. Um, and if you have had positive results, if you have had some that maybe you feel you could have achieved more, I think there is a lot of advice out there. Talk to your school, um, you know, and if you are a teacher who is worried, yeah, 
you know, I think reach out to someone uh, because it is a tough time. I really, you know, feel for people that how A-level results and GCSE results come out when there is no structured support really around teachers and around schools. Um, so certainly, you know, reach out to someone if you've been worried by it. Now, this evening on the show, we've been talking swimming in the curriculum and water safety with Steve Docking, his CEO of Northwest Academies Trust, and Brendan Prince, who's an adventurer, lifeguard and water safety crusader. We have been talking all over the topic. You know, we've been hearing some amazing, you know, really good practice um, from uh, Steve about what, you know, what he's trying to do with the schools he uh, works with. And we've heard from Brendan as well, you know, passionately talking about why this is important and why these elements should be there. We have, as I, you know, as I said, just before the news, skirted all over so many topics. It's been a really informative and really interesting discussion. So it's not one of those where I can tell you to tune back in and listen at a specific point. You're just going to have to go back and listen from the start. You will find this show on iTunes. You will find it on Spotify. You will find it on Amazon. You'll, of course, find it on Podbean, but you'll find it on any of those. Oh, and not forgetting our website as well, where you can go to ttradio.org slash listen back. And there's a little search bar there where you can type in any words, type in swimming, we should be at the top. But if you're typing any words that interest you about a Teachers Talk radio show you're looking for, whether it be reading, whether it be uh, teaching geography, type those keywords in. It'll pull up all the past episodes of uh, Teachers Talk radio and you'll be able to search them there. So yeah, uh, listen back from the start if you can. Now I'm going to welcome back and check that they are still with us. Steve, are you still with us? Just double check there. And uh, Brendan, can you hear me? Just seeing, guys, there, it's not showing that I can hear you at the moment. So if you want to just uh, either give me a sign, you can type a message in to say if you're still with us and we're still hearing you, or if you just disconnect and then reconnect, we might be able to connect you. Uh, just I can't hear you either at the moment. So uh, try and give me some sort of sign that we are still there, still here. Uh, now, I, I wonder why. Can you see the mute button there, either of you? See if you can click on that mute button. Oh, yeah, it shows you both muted. Now uh, it shows you've unmuted. So if you want to try and talk for me. Evening. Hi, Nathan. And you are there. So, you know, sometimes the gremlins get in the system. <laughs> Who knows? You know, uh, nothing had changed. Who knows? Um, but welcome back. That's why I always, you see, I've been doing this a while. I always like to check that you're still there. I haven't drifted off or gone to make a cup of tea during the news. So welcome back. I was just filling everyone in on some of the things we've talked about earlier. Skated all over. Now, the bit that I wanted to start off really is you know this if people have joined us now we want a you know a bit of inspiration and then i guess some top tips and that's how we'll, we'll wrap up the show on a real positive because we've been a harsh and critical in the middle there for a little bit we've talked about some of the problems that we faced particularly around finances in in the current climate of uh, you know well education i guess and, and and just the uk but some of those things we're facing so Steve, do you want to start us off? You know, you invest a lot of time and effort into swimming. Why is it important? 
Okay. Just before I do, because you mentioned GCSEs, uh, my daughter yeah. got a GCSEs today. I've got enough to get into sixth form, and I'm really delighted for her. So I just thought congratulations, well, congratulations, <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yeah. And you know, I think something that, that's what it's as long as you can access where you want to go next. Absolutely. I think you know the rest. The rest of it is you know your future is what you can make of it. And I think you know we can get hung up on numbers sometimes, but as long as you can get where you want to go, that's a good thing. So congratulations to her. Yeah. Um, in terms of your question, just before, I just one one thing on finance, just before we do, I did, mm. well, the news was on, I did a quick ready reckoner of how much swimming actually could cost based on five pounds a lesson. Um, so 210 kids in a school, five pounds a lesson, swimming 35 times a year would be 35,750 pounds. Um, you're gonna recoup some money from parents and not from others. Um, but if you use it creatively within your schools for PPA um, and you won't cover every teacher, um, three and that would cover three and a half days if you had seven classes of PPA cover if you did swimming in those times. Three and a half days of swimming co of, of PPA cover would equate to about £35,000. So it's possible to run these programmes very efficiently if you think in a slightly different way than how much it costs. So it was just a point to start it off. But I suppose, you know, in answer to your question, why do we do swimming? I think for me... You know the passion about the the passion about the what what swimming actually is, what it can lead to. You know, it's a skill that you're all going to develop. It develops the confidence, the ability in children, um, and the enjoyment. You know, I think once you've mastered the confidence within the water, you can do lots of things. And I think Brendel may pick up on one of the questions that came through about, you know, children don't drown in swimming pools, but giving children i was amazed at that statistic they said at the start that you know, get an 80 percent better chance of surviving an accident in open water if you you know have learned to swim within a pool you know it's an it's an unbelievable statistic you know you must give people you know those opportunities but for me i suppose it's it's that enjoyment that it gives to everybody and it's a massive life skill that you never lose and, you know, I'm going to throw over to Brendan then, you know, why do you think this is something that we should be valuing is worth, you know, clinging on to within the curriculum? I mean, we, we find that uh, getting a full class into the sea straight away, yeah. it's the fun, it's the friendship and the fitness. So they're ticking their boxes for the fitness, for the, the PE that week. And then the fun and the friendship they get from being in the water together is something that they'll, they'll chat about all week. You know, the fun that you can have of jumping in, of splashing each other, you know, taking away the educational element of teaching them to be water safe. And you get that confidence by doing all those fun games. Um, and they love all that. And it's, you know, it's as, it's as benefit as being, if you can't run down the street for a bus, there's an issue and a problem and something needs to be addressed. If you can't swim in the sea, if you can't swim in a, in a pool, there's an issue and something needs to be addressed because you never know when you might need that skill. And this is where it comes back to um, understanding the goals. So we 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 have about a thousand schools that we, we work with up and down the country. And there are many, many schools who <clears> will say, you know, we, we don't need um, any help or guidance on it. We don't really do much swimming. So we're not we're not going to take you up on this. And then the following year, and I can, you know, give many examples of this. Someone tragically drowns in their in their school or in their area, or there's a life-changing implication because of a near drowning, and all of a sudden that school sees the value, and suddenly they've got their goals, 
and the goals have nothing to do with national curriculum objectives. The goals suddenly then become all about, right, what can you do for our 400 children so we know when they're on holiday and when they're on the weekend or whether they're, you know, in the summer holidays, we know as a school they're going to be safe. And I've had many heads say that to me when 18 months beforehand they may have said, no, it, we, we don't really want it. You're, and we what we do is free. You know, it's not as if we're charging schools for this. But there, there are so many organisations out there. You know, us above water, um, the RLNI, uh, the Royal Life Saving Society, Surf Life Saving GB. With, there's a plethora of information they can give you firsthand or that you can get on the website, Sport uh, Swim England. There's so much information out there. But often teachers, because they haven't been taught it themselves, don't know how to kind of access that or engage in it or don't feel confident to. And so it's trying about getting all that to happen. And can I think, I, you know, Nathan, can I give a, a, an example just building on that? If that's yeah, right. go for it. Sure. Yeah. One of the things um, we, we were very fortunate when I was a head teacher that we were able to organize a, a residential visit to Paris. And it was the best thing I've ever done with children. I've always wanted to take them abroad. And it, it was a fabulous experience. We organized it for the following year, but there was some terrorist incidents in Paris and we were unable to take them. Um, we're based in Cheshire um, and we didn't want to cancel a year six trip at such short notice. So what do you do when you're based in Cheshire? that's you know not as good well different than Paris that has the, the level of high expectation you need we took them surfing in Cornwall um, and it was the most fabulous thing we've done we took them to St Ives and off we went and we did two days of surfing down there and it was a tremendous thing to do and you took these kids from Cheshire but nobody batted an eyelid because by year six you developed this program where all the kids were so water confident that swimming in the sea in an open water for kids that have never done it was never an issue because it was a controlled activity it was a sort of safe activity to do they're all water confident and they had an amazing time so i think you Nate, um, brendan's right in what he says about you know if you live near the coast you should learn to swim but i think it's about doing things that take people out of the comfort zone and that was something that did and it was just an amazing opportunity that fits in with what uh, brendan's trying to do within his programs as well really yeah, I think, you know, I reflect on, as I say, not even to the extreme of, you know, when I was teaching outdoor pursuits of, of, of kayaking yeah. and canoeing, I grew up in, in, in Cambridge, and we have on the river there, it's a it's shallow river, you know, it's in, in a narrow river, I think you could probably jump across it in, in points, but we have these things called punts, and they're, they're a little yeah. like a gondola where you, you push them along. And people would do it and tourists would do it. And I s s would see the fear. And when I was, you know, sort of teaching outdoors, I would see this worry and concern of being near water that for, for a place where we have a lot of rivers, a lot of lakes, a lot of lovely places that you can do lovely things. It, it can be really debilitating, I think, if you are sort of constantly worried or constantly in fear and, and not in a, a way that we should be reckless but having never had that as, as a child, it always, I, I don't know, I always felt a sadness when I saw someone who couldn't enjoy what I saw as the mm. fullness of life because of, a, you know, what's potentially something we can do something about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, yeah. No, I think it, it's, you know, whatever you can have is, as, whatever you can do with a degree of confidence you're going to feel better about yourself doing and if you can give children you know that ability from a very early age and they can enjoy things that they wouldn't naturally do at different times in their lives then that's why we should swim mm. right uh, we are at the part of the show you know as we are coming to the, i really want to focus on 
some takeaways, some you know, some tips. Some people might be listening about some some uh, proactive steps because we've talked about you know the concerns, we've talked about the worries, we've talked about its importance and you know and its benefits. But you know, someone might be listening to this, and you know, at at different levels, they might be a, a, a new classroom teacher who is is thinking oh, this is something I want to raise with with SLT or something that I feel I might you know want to champion at my school, or it might be a, a middle leader or a school leader who's thinking, yeah, do you know what? I'm not proud of what my school is doing we're doing something we're, we're meeting the objectives in a way but I'm not proud of it um, so if we start with Steve what, what advice would you have for um, you know different people if if they were I don't want to say concerned about how if they thought swimming improved where they are the delivery of swimming I think if you think of it at different stages, I was trying to think of how's an NQT get involved with this? You've got all the things that you need to do, you know, ECT is the knuckle, you know, how do you get involved with, you know, a swimming program? What, you know, what I did from my own personal experience, they did what you described as the average swimming program at school I started up where every class went at different times. I offered to teach the swimming for the staff who weren't water confident. That was those. That was the school where if you were a class teacher with year three or year four, you went because your class was going. I said, well, why don't you come and teach your class, uh, my class, your best subject while I'm out teaching yours the swimming, which I was confident at. So I think if you've got a genuine passion for it, put yourself out there, you know, amongst the, the other staff and, and, and put yourself forward to do other things. And don't, you, know, you don't have to go all the time with every class, but, you know, your colleague next door, either side of you might really benefit from you taking their class swimming. And it's not because they don't want to, because maybe they haven't got the confidence. So I think that would be the starting point at that level. And then as you move through the programme, look at other opportunities that are out there. I think, you know, we've we've recently done a water polo tournament and we invited other schools locally within the area and, and you know, look for opportunities that exist within different places. And your example of taking kids and doing the punting, you know, take them and do things that take them out of their comfort zones in relation to water. But start small, I would say, is is the first bit of the start of your career and grow with the programme. And then if you move up the career ladder and be ahead, just go for it, you know you're not going to make things worse by taking the kids swimming every week and, and that's it's such a positive message yes uh, you know <laughs> certainly i love it and I, you know i re i really appreciate the, the kind of quick maths you did on on working yeah. out the kind of figures because the numbers can rapidly rack rack yeah. up and in school leadership people can be worried about that but if you are creative in the way that you described you know earlier where you are using it to cover in other ways or you know uh, making it part of your uh, provision you can find the space, you can find uh, the, the money and the support uh, from your school community to do it. Yeah. So, um, Brendan, what about yourself? If, you know, if, uh, you know, I met you, you know, at the beach with your paddleboard and I say, oh, hi, that's really interesting. I'm a teacher. Yeah. You know, what should I be doing? Where, you know, my school does nothing at the moment or we do very little. Where, where can we start? So we, we try and encourage every school to get one person who will take responsibility. So that might be the head, that might be the head delegating to somebody, that might be an NQT that's gonna say, I'm gonna take take this, this mantra on of, of understanding what water safety and swimming is all about and take it on. If you've got that one person that acts as the hub for the school, you can start to move because otherwise, Teaching is such a, a dynamic role, but there's so many pressures and so much going on that it can get lost in the system. So you need that one person. So we always try and encourage that to happen. And then, do you know what? If, if you said to me, Nathan, 
I want to go uh, paddleboarding for the very first time, I would say to you, right, well, Nathan, the first thing you need to do is get a lesson. That's the first thing you need to do whenever any water's concerned. And the same thing applies here. That NQT, that, that first teacher who's going to take responsibility in the school, get a lesson. Now, there are a plethora of charities that I've mentioned, the RLI, Royal Life Society, Surf Life and GB, Above Water and, and Swim England will all take you through a uh, nursery step, step by step of what you need to do to give you the confidence to think, yeah, well, I can plan this now. I know what to teach. I know what to do. And until you get that happening in a school, it just doesn't happen. And hopefully by engaging in that charity, they'll also enthuse you with understanding the bigger picture here. You know, you as a school going to be confident that in those holidays, in those those times when the children go home, when they're walking by water, that they know the basics. And if I can just say that to you, because we've got uh, a, a long weekend coming up, a bank holiday weekend, the key points to any human being being safe near water is to stop, look, listen. And if you get into trouble, float. So take whenever you need water, stop. That stopping just slows everything down and you can start to look, well, what, what, why am I near the water? What am I hoping to do? Have I got the right equipment? Are the conditions right? Is the water temperature right? Is it flowing in the wrong direction? So you can stop and you can look at all those different elements. By looking, you'll, you'll identify if there are any hazards. And then obviously, because you've stopped and you're looking, you have the opportunity to listen. Speak to local people. You know, when you were down in St. Ives, Steve, you know, you would have been talking. The instructors would have talked to the lifeguards to know mm. if the conditions were right, whether the weather was right. So you're listening to what's if there are any problems or dangers around the water. But of course, if you get into trouble and you fall in, float. Because most drownings happen within the first 10, 20 seconds. So if you're floating on your back, if your priority number one, I've just fallen into this river, is to float on your back. One, it gives your mind something to do and stops you panicking. And then two, you acclimatize to the situation you're in so you can think clearly out of that situation. And, you know, 99% of humans can float even if they can't swim. Um, so stop, look, listen, float is my big message for the bank holiday weekend. So thank you for letting me share it. No, of course, you know, I think, you know, these things that need, you know, I, I don't know, they become, needs to become ingrained and, and, and people kind of understand and it'd be part of life. I, I'm reflecting now on the, the things that both of you have said. And one of the things that I found most, I don't know, refreshing, interesting, I, I don't quite know what I'm reflecting on is you know when you are talking about these things you know the the lessons every day it makes so much sense now that i've heard someone say that's what they do steve you know and i go yeah oh well of course why didn't i even think that that was possible and then the you know the things that you've talked about there uh brendan about you know these water safety leads these assemblies delivered by children now i've seen that done you know many times with road safety i i, I can't now for the life of me think why i have never asked or chosen to do it with water safety um and and so i think you know sharing these ideas communicating them out there talking to people about them is a really um a really powerful tool so hopefully people have been you know inspired as i have there, there are certainly questions from this that you know I'll, I'll be asking of people um when we return to governor's meetings and and, and school meetings um in september um now i you know i did want to save a little bit of time at the end um uh, uh, brendan just quickly because you, you, 
when I was talking, you know, communicating with you about the show, you're, you're off somewhere in the next couple of weeks, are you? I am. So last year I paddled and boarded around Britain, uh, mainland Britain, to demonstrate it could be done, it could be done safely, and to have many more platforms to share my water safety message. Fantastic. But obviously I didn't do all of the UK, so I need to do Northern Ireland. So I'm paddling around Northern Ireland, and the beauty of paddling around Northern Ireland, obviously it's landlocked with with Main Island, um, which means that I can really get to nitty gritty of just social media every day. You know, that, that's a wonderful platform that we've created that can share that message of inland waterway safety as well as um, coastal safety. And of course, as I said before, water safety is not sexy. So we wrap it in an adventure journey that's happening. And all the water safety stuff is, is subliminal in the background um, to, to, to engage as, as the thousands of people we hope that will be engaged by the trip and set a few world records along the way. Fantastic. And if people wanted to find out more, follow you on that, how would they, uh, how, how would they find you? We'll find any of that on Long Paddle Sup, and that's across all the uh, social media, and likewise Above Water UK on all the different social media. So that's Long Paddle Sup and Above Water UK. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, an amazing thing to do, and you know, hopefully, yeah, it really does, you know, help raise awareness, raise the raise those. Um, those kind of ideas. Um, now, I want to say thank you so much for both of you uh, for coming on tonight, for sharing. Uh, you know, I know it is a big ask. You know, we've been to, talking now for for well over an hour. Uh, you know about this, but it is so important. Um, and 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 Steve, before we go, was there any last messages? Any and uh, you know favorite quotes? Any last bits of inspiration you want to throw out there to any of our listeners? I think, you know, this is always when you put on the spot for that, you know, yeah. that moment of inspiration. And I've just I'm glad he asked guy. you that question, not me, Steve. <laughs> and I just listened to someone say that they're paddling, paddleboarding around the whole of Northern Ireland. I think for me, love what you do is what I would say. You know, there's teachers, there's so much negativity that exists around many aspects of what, you know, what teaching is. But every day, Teaching children new things is such a powerful thing to do and absolutely love what you do. And if swimming's a massive part of that or even a small part of it within the time that you spend in education, you won't go far wrong. So that's as good as it gets. <laughs> is that okay? Well no, said. That is well said. Absolutely perfect. And uh, you know, and I should say, if people want to reach out to you, um, you're um, you know, to hear more about how you're you're achieving the, the swimming program that you've put in place, you're um at NWA underscore trust is that right i think yeah just like i don't think it's got the underscore but yeah um i'll just have a look now i was just uh, i was just actually following you brendan on those links there so yeah <laughs> it's at uh, it's at nwa yeah nwa trust no underscore um, no underscore no underscore uh, fantastic so you'll be able to reach out there yeah if you you know I, i'm sure steve you'll be happy to point people in the in the right direction always, explain the intricacies of, of how you've achieved okay, because as i say it sounds like such a simplistic thing once you said it but i imagine there you know there are uh, stepping stones and and, and hurdles yeah. that people might be able to avoid with your with your support there now brendan then um you know i will say good luck any last messages uh but before we have to finish off for the evening um well any schools anybody listening in, in northern ireland i look forward to meeting and greeting and engaging with you um through the month of september and and now so yeah, best of luck all those teachers going back in September. And if you want to get hold of us for any enthusiasm on swimming and water safety and any any teaching and get your children uh, leaders and ambassadors in your school, then then contact us and we, we'll we'll take it from there. 
yeah, you know, best of luck with that. I, I will be following it. Um, you know, I hope the weather holds out for you. You know, um, I, I imagine it can get fairly choppy around Northern Ireland. It doesn't sound, I don't know. Yeah, my biggest fear is we've had a really good August, which doesn't oh. look good then for September, does it? <laughs> no, no, we could be going into the rainy month. Right, well, thank you again so much, you know, and uh, I, I will say uh, from Teachers Talk Radio, you can find this episode within half an hour of us finishing. It will be on Spotify, it will be on Amazon, it will be on iTunes, or of course at our website, uh, ttradio.com. If you want to share it on social media, you'll find us at TT Radio 2022. Tag us in, share us. We'll try and answer as many questions as we can and keep that conversation about swimming in the curriculum going. Uh, from here in South Wales, as we say, Ngamraig, uh, Nostar, good night. So, uh, Nostar, Stephen, Brendan, Nostar. Um, oh, well done you know you could have just said good night but thank you for humoring me and, and joining in and we will say good night and off we go good night good night you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio